Chapter Four of the Chronicles of Avonlea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Chronicles of Avonlea, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter Four, Little Jocelyn, Part Two. Jordan went out and hurried downstairs. Billy Morrison was in the stable when Jordan stuck his head over the half-door. "'Say, can I have the rest of the day off, sir? I want to go to Kensington.' "'Well, I don't mind,' said Billy Morrison, amiably. "'May's got you well jaunting done, for harvest comes on. "'And here, George, take this quarter and get some oranges for Auntie Nan. Needn't mention it to headquarters.' Billy Morrison's face was solemn, but Jordan winked as he pocketed the money. "'If I have any luck, "'I'll bring her something that'll do her more good than the oranges,' he muttered, as he hurried off to the pasture. Jordan had a horse of his own now, a rather bony nag, answering to the name of Dan. Billy Morrison had agreed to pasture the animal if Jordan used him in the farm work, an arrangement scoffed at by Mrs. William in no measured terms. Jordan hitched Dan to the second-best buggy, dressed himself in his Sunday clothes, and drove off. On the road he re-read a paragraph he had clipped from the Charlottetown Daily Enterprise the previous day. Jocelyn Burnett, the famous contralto, is spending a few days in Kensington on her return from her maritime concert tour. She is the guest of Mr. and Mrs. Bromley of the Beaches. "'Now, if I can get there in time,' said Jordan emphatically. Jordan got to Kensington, put Dan in a livery stable, and inquired the way to the beaches. He felt rather nervous when he found it. It was such a stately, imposing place, set back from the street in an emerald-green seclusion of beautiful grounds. "'Fancy me stalking up to that front door and asking for Miss Jocelyn Burnett,' grinned Jordan, sheepishly. "'Maybe they'll tell me to go around to the back and inquire for the cook. But you're going just the same, Jordan Sloane, and no skulking. March right up now.' Think of Auntie Nan, and don't let style down you. A pert-looking maid answered Jordan's ring, and stared at him when he asked for Miss Burnett. "'I don't think you can see her,' she said shortly, scanning his country cut of hair and clothes rather superciliously. "'What is your business with her?' The maid's scorn roused Jordan's dander, as he would have expressed it. "'I'll tell her that when I see her,' he retorted coolly. "'Just you tell her that I've a message for her from Auntie Nan Morrison of Gull Point Farm, Avonlea.' if she ain't forgot that'll fetch her you might as well hurry up if you please i've not overly too much time the pert maid decided to be civil at last and invited jordan to enter but she left him standing in the hall while she went in search of miss burnett jordan gazed about him in amazement he had never been in a place like this before the hall was wonderful enough and through the open doors on either hand stretched vistas of lovely rooms that to jordan's eyes looked like those of a palace gee whiz how do they ever move around without knocking things over? Then Jocelyn Burnett came, and Jordan forgot everything else. This tall, beautiful woman, in her silken draperies, with a face like nothing Jordan had ever seen, or even dreamed about, could this be Auntie Nan's little Jocelyn? Jordan's round, freckled countenance grew crimson. He felt horribly tongue-tied and embarrassed. What could he say to her? How could he say it? Jocelyn Burnett looked at him with her large, dark eyes, the eyes of a woman who had suffered much, and learned much, and won through struggle to victory. "'You have come from Auntie Nan,' she said. "'Oh, I'm so glad to hear from her. Is she well? Come in here and tell me all about her.' She turned toward one of those fairy-like rooms, but Jordan interrupted her desperately. 
Oh, not in there, ma'am. I'd never get it out. Just let me blunder through it on here some ways. Yes'm, Auntie Nan, she ain't very well. She's—she's she's dying, I guess. And she's longing for you night and day. Seems as if she couldn't die in peace without seeing you. She wanted to get to Kensington to hear you sing, but that old cat of a Mrs. William, begging your pardon, ma'am, wouldn't let her come. She's always talking of you. If you can come out to Gullpoint Farm and see her, I'll be the most awful obliged to you, ma'am." Jocelyn Burnett looked troubled. She had not forgotten Gullpoint Farm, nor Auntie Nan, but for years the memory had been dim, crowded into the background of consciousness by the more exciting events of her busy life. Now it came back with a rush. She recalled it all tenderly the peace and beauty and love of that olden summer, and sweet Auntie Nan so very wise in the lore of all things simple and good and true. For the moment Jocelyn Burnett was a lonely, hungry-hearted little girl again, seeking for love and finding it not, until Auntie Nan had taken her into her great mother-heart and taught her its meaning. "'Oh, I don't know,' she said perplexedly. "'If you had come sooner—I leave on the eleven-thirty train to-night. I must leave by then, or I shall not reach Montreal in time to fill a very important engagement. And yet I must see Auntie Nan, too. I have been careless and neglectful. I might have gone to see her before. How can we manage it? I'll bring you back to Kensington in time to catch that train, said Jordan eagerly. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Auntie Nan, me and Dan. Yes, sir, you'll get back in time. Just think of Auntie Nan's face when she sees you. I will come, said the great singer gently. It was sunset when they reached Gullpoint Farm. An arc of warm gold was over the spruces behind the house. Mrs. William was out in the barnyard, milking, and the house was deserted save for the sleeping baby in the kitchen and the old woman with the watchful eyes in the upstairs room. "'This way, ma'am,' said Jordan, inwardly congratulating himself that the coast was clear. "'I'll take you right up to her room.' Upstairs Jocelyn tapped at the half-open door and went in. Before it closed behind her, Jordan heard Auntie Nan say, "'Jocelyn! Little Jocelyn!' in a tone that made him choke again. He stumbled thankfully downstairs to be pounced upon by Mrs. William in the kitchen. "'Jordan Sloane, who was that stylish woman you drove into the yard with? And what have you done with her?' "'That was Miss Jocelyn Burnett,' said Jordan, expanding himself. This was his hour of triumph over Mrs. William. "'I went to Kensington and brung her out to see Auntie Nan. She's up with her now.' "'Dear me!' said Mrs. William, helplessly, and me and my milking-rig. Jordan, for pity's sake, hold the baby while I go and put on my black silk. You might have given a body some warning. I declare I don't know which is the greatest idiot, you or Auntie Nan." As Mrs. William flounced out of the kitchen, Jordan took his satisfaction in a quiet laugh. Upstairs in the little room was a great glory of sunset and gladness of human hearts. Jocelyn was kneeling by the bed with her arms about Auntie Nan, and Auntie Nan, with her face all irradiated, was stroking Jocelyn's dark hair fondly. "'Oh, little Jocelyn,' she murmured, "'it seems too good to be true. It seems like a beautiful dream. I knew you the minute you opened the door, my dearie. You haven't changed a bit. And you're a famous singer now, little Jocelyn. I always knew you would be. Oh, I want you to sing a piece for me, just one, won't you, dearie? Sing that piece people like to hear you sing best.' I forget the name, but I've read about it in the paper. Sing it for me, little Jocelyn." And Jocelyn, standing by Auntie Nan's bed in the sunset light, sang the song she had sung to many a brilliant audience on many a noted concert platform. 
sang it as even she had never sung before, while Auntie Nan lay and listened beatifically, and downstairs even Mrs. William held her breath, entranced by the exquisite melody that floated through the old farmhouse. "'Oh, little Jocelyn!' breathed Auntie Nan in rapture when the song ended. Jocelyn knelt by her again, and they had a long talk of old days. One by one they recalled the memories of that vanished summer. The past gave up its tears and its laughter. Heart and fancy alike went roaming through the ways of the long ago. Auntie Nan was perfectly happy, and then Jocelyn told her all the story of her struggles and triumphs since they had parted. When the moonlight began to creep in through the low window, Auntie Nan put out her hand and touched Jocelyn's bowed head. "'Little Jocelyn,' she whispered, "'if it ain't asking too much, I want you to sing just one other piece. Do you remember when you were here how we sung hymns in the parlor every Sunday night, and my favorite was always the sands of time or sinking? I ain't never forgot how you used to sing that, and I want to hear it just once again, dearie. Sing it for me, little Jocelyn.' Jocelyn rose and went to the window. Lifting back the curtain, she stood in the splendor of the moonlight and sang the grand old hymn. At first Auntie Nan beat time to it feebly on the counterpane, but when Jocelyn came to the verse with mercy and with judgment, she folded her hands over her breast and smiled. When the hymn ended, Jocelyn came over to the bed. "'I'm afraid I must say good-bye now, Auntie Nan,' she said. Then she saw that Auntie Nan had fallen asleep. She would not waken her, but she took from her breast the cluster of crimson roses she wore and slipped them gently between the toil-worn fingers." "'Good-bye, dear, sweet mother heart,' she murmured. Downstairs she met Mrs. William splendid in a rustling black silk, her broad, rubicund face smiling, overflowing with apologies and welcomes, which Jocelyn cut short coldly. "'Thank you, Mrs. Morrison, but I cannot possibly stay longer. No, thank you, I don't care for any refreshments. Jordan is going to take me back to Kensington at once. I came out to see Auntie Nan.' "'I'm certain she'd be delighted,' said Mrs. William, effusively. "'She's been talking about you for weeks.' "'Yes, and it has made her very happy,' said Jocelyn gravely. "'And it has made me happy, too. "'I love Auntie Nan, Mrs. Morrison, and I owe her much. "'In all my life I have never met a woman so purely unselfishly good and noble and true.' "'Fancy now,' said Mrs. William, rather overcome at hearing this great singer pronounce such an encomium on quiet, timid, old Auntie Nan." Jordan drove Jocelyn back to Kensington, and upstairs in her room Auntie Nan slept with that rapt smile on her face and Jocelyn's red roses in her hands. Thus it was that Mrs. William found her, going in the next morning with her breakfast. The sunlight crept over the pillow, lighting up the sweet old face and silver hair, and stealing downward to the faded red roses on her breast. Smiling and peaceful and happy lay Auntie Nan, for she had fallen on the sleep that knows no earthly wakening, while little Jocelyn sang. End of chapter 4, part 2